0: Amen? Amen. God is good. And all the time? And that's his nature. Amen? Amen. He's all good. As you heard, my name is Kennedy Crazy. Not crazy, (laughs) but crazy. K-R-E-Z-I is my name. That's the big story of my life. People making fun of my name. (laughs) Call me the other one. And I am from the continent of Africa, a country named Kenya. I'll say that one more time, right? (laughs) I'm from a continent named Africa and a country named Kenya. The reason I say that twice is because so many times people walk up to me and they're like, hey, Kennedy, you from Africa? I have a friend called John. Do you know him? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I know John. (laughs) Yeah, my dad is John. Do you know him? (laughs) I'm just from one country, Kenya, and I was born in the capital of Kenya called Nairobi. In Nairobi, there's eight slums. In fact, the largest slum in Africa is in Nairobi. It's called, it's called Kibera. But I was born in the second largest slum in Kenya called Madare, which is in Nairobi as well. And uh, Madare is not a place you're, you're proud to say you're from because people from Madare have been told that they are nothing. They are hopeless. They are poor. They are thieves. In fact, if I was in Kenya and I said in front of church that I'm from Mazara, people probably walk out or look into their pockets to make sure their wallets and phones and keys are still intact. And so we grow up with an identity crisis. You always round off your neighborhood to the, richest, to the nearest richest neighborhood. You do not say exactly where you're from. You say I'm from, let's say a rich neighborhood is Cheyenne. You say I'm from East Cheyenne. That's kind of, if you say that somewhere from Madhari, they know you are, you're from the slum. You're just trying to make it sound like you're from a rich neighborhood. So people will invite you into the rest of the society. Because people from Madhari are nothing. We, that's the first script of your life you're told in Madhari, that when you're born, the first thing you see is poverty. And then you live a, script, a scripted life. Boys can only live up to the age of 16 before they die. The age of 10, 11, 12, they get into what's around them, which is crime, drugs, and all the negative things you can think of. And so by the time you're 16, you are either in prison or you get shot, and you're done, you're done, or you get lynched, or you get mob justice is normal there. A girl can only live up to the age of 13 before they become a mom. When they're 26, their child is 13. They are grandparent. When they're 39, their child is 26, their grandchild is 13, their great-grandparents. If, if they make it to 52 years of age, they end up seeing four generations of their lives. And that is normal. And, the, and all this builds up into the cycle of poverty with prostitution and drugs and crime going all around you. That's, the, that's all you know. You live and die in Madara without the rest of the society. Across the street, there's a street that divides the rest of the society and Madara, knowing you have existed. And being a girl where I grew up, is very, it's a big disadvantage. You're a second-class citizen. Girls are not as empowered. You're supposed to be a mom at 13. There's nothing great, nothing beyond that is important in your life. Like I said, Madhari is about eight square miles, hosting close to a million people, living in a 10 by 10 square foot room. A typical family in Madhari has about five kids and two parents in a 10 by 10 square foot room. To bring that to perspective, a 10 by 10 square foot room is about a typical American bedroom. And that's a home for five kids and two parents. And it is not partitioned where you have a bathroom. It is everything. It is your living room, dining room, your kitchen. You take a shower in there. And that's just okay. That's normal. My parents were a little bit extra hard workers. And they got themselves 10 kids. I am baby number 10 out of 10. And we grew up in a 10 by 10 square foot room. Everybody had their square foot. (laughs) You would not make more than five steps in our house. It was so small and congested, and it was, it was awesome, though. We loved everything we had. We, it was our living room, bedroom. We took showers in there. We ate and cooked in there. We slept on the floor at night at night, on cardboards, and that was life. Apart from being our home, it was also my parents' place of business, uh, my dad was a tailor during the day, and at night he was a security guard. He was a busy man. He was always gone. And during the, I mean, my, my mom brewed illegal liquor. We call it Chang'a in our lo- local language. But to bring it to perspective, here it, it is an equivalent of the Kenyan, we call it the Kenyan moonshine. 100% alcohol, you light it up, it lights up. You Get a cut, you fly on it, you're healed in two minutes. <laughs> And so the first things I saw growing up was people drinking in our home. I tell you, Chang'a stinks too. Our home was always smelling like Chang'a. Before you took a sip, if you're thirsty and you need water, before you take a sip of anything, you had to smell it first because it might not be real water. (laughs) So people, people dancing in our home, people, rowdy people, people fighting, throwing glasses and borders at each other, sometimes not even handling my mom the right way. And I thought that was just normal, because that wasn't, that wasn't just my story. That was the story of the next door neighbor's kid, and the next door neighbor's kid, and all the kids around. We were all so poor that there was nobody to vent out to of how you were poor. Later on, as an adult, I met a friend who was telling me how they were poor, and they had one car. <laughs> And I was like, you don't know (laughs) The closest school that my parents could afford was two hours walk away from home. Two hours one way and two hours the other way. And I was bare feet. I had never worn shoes until I was seven. And we'd go three to five days a week without having a single meal and still go to school two hours and pay attention in class, and when the results came out, you would never tell I didn't eat. I was still one of the brightest students in class. With this, I had to come up with ways to cope in school, and one of the things I did is I I did people's homework, and they would give me lunch. Or I would have people copy my homework, and then you trade me with your lunch. I didn't have a backpack. I used a grocery bag to go to school. I put my hands in the loops and I had a backpack, a fancy one too. <laughs> in fact, when it rained, my, cl- my, my, my books would not get wet because I had a backpack, the fanciest backpack ever. And that was normal. My clothes were all torn. Well, I still wear torn clothes, but those ones were torn because they were old. This was uh, torn because of design. <laughs> I was the baby, and I never had brand new clothes because all my clothes were hand-me-downs from my older siblings. And I kind of looked a little funny, being a skinny man in big shorts for my older brothers. And... But I didn't care because that wasn't just me who looked that way because everybody else in my class was poor just like me, and that's all we knew. I tell you, it wasn't until the age of seven when one day at church, my pastor told us to invite our parents to church. My parents never went to church, but they made sure we went to church. In fact, it was a rule in our home that if you went to church, you had to come back and show your parents Sunday school notes so that you don't live like you're going to Sunday school and go play soccer and then show up like you went to church. And so this one day, my pastor told us, bring your parents to church. Of course, you guys know, for you to have a good church, you've you got to have a good Sunday school, right? If you have a good Sunday school, you've got to have a good audience. Kids are the ones who bring parents to church. And so I was able to convince my ever-busy dad to come to church with me. And after service, they stayed behind, and the pastor told them about this opportunity with compassion, that they were going to help the kids released from poverty in Jesus' name. This wasn't the first time our parents had heard such kind of information because a lot of organizations would come and take information and pictures and disappear and never show up ever again. And so my skeptical father thought that it wouldn't hurt to give it one more chance. And so he gave in our information, and a few months down the line, I got the news that I had been selected to join the compassion program. And that I was on my way to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Tell you, at the age of seven, I was nine years away from living a typical lifespan of the boys in my community. I call my seventh year of life a point when life, when death was arrested and my life began. Amen. Amen. At the age of seven is when I first heard the phrase, I love you. Not from my mom, but from my compassion sponsors. They wrote me letters all the time. They told me they had a picture of me on the refrigerator. And every time they'd open the fridge door, they would pray that I ate that day or that night. They told me that I was handsome, I was cute, and I had the cutest smile ever. Isn't that true? <laughs> They believed in me. In all their letters, they always wrote Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not says poverty. Not says the script that the society had over my life. Not says everything that I didn't have. Not says the statistics of my generation. But says the Lord, my Creator. Plans to give me a future and a hope. Tell you for the first time, I started believing there was a future and a hope. In the slums or when you're poor, you do not think of the future. You think about right now. Where can I eat right now? There's no, where am I going to eat tomorrow? Well, let me go do grocery shopping for a week. No, I need to eat right now. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Says the Lord. My compassion sponsors told me that I was destined for greatness. When I received letters from my compassion sponsors, it was the only time I heard something positive about myself. It was the only time I felt accepted. It was the only time I knew I was prayed for and I was cared for and I was loved. It was the only time that I was important. For the first time, We came from not eating three to five days a week to eating three times a day. Remember when I said my clothes didn't fit? In Kenya, you're body shamed if you're skinny, not the other way around. My clothes started fitting. I gained some weight. I fit in my clothes. I was on my way there. (laughs) Gained a few pounds there. For the first time, I put a pair of shoes on my feet. At the age of seven, I loved shoes. Shoes was the one thing I always wanted to have. If you're going to walk bare feet on a dirt road, 105 degrees, the one thing you really want is not food. You want shoes. So all my life, I wanted shoes. I grew up to love shoes. I still love shoes. In fact, my birthday is coming up soon. So if you guys have any ideas, I grew up to be a man who just loves shoes. When I first received my first pair of shoes, I didn't even put them on. I walked bare feet to school. I put my shoes in my grocery bag. You want to make them dirty, you know? They're, they're brand new shoes. And when I got out of, outside of the school, that's when I put them on, and that is one day I was kicking all the rocks in school, so everybody would notice I had something on my feet. It was an amazing feeling. And there were some fancy leather shoes. that every kid, No other kid had them in school but me. I started looking all fancy. I had a brand new backpack, brand new school uniform. I was a Boy Scout, and I was the only one with a Boy Scout uniform in school. See that cute guy there? <laughs> Wasn't smiling though, but yeah, he's cute. And my life changed. Not just my life, but the life of my family. My older brother was a gangster, and he would walk me to the compassion, to church. He would walk me to church every time I needed to go there. And in the process of that, my pastor started talking to him, and they became friends, and that's how he came to to know about Jesus. And he got born again, and a lot of gang members started knowing about Jesus. And his life has never been the same again. I went to school. I went to an elementary school. And at the age of 14, I had an eye infection. And I almost lost my eyesight. My eyes were brown as coffee. You couldn't tell the difference between the rest of my eye and the pupil. And... Wait not for the fact that I was enrolled in the Compassion Center. I promise you I'd be a blind man today. In my dad's side of the family, there's a lot of blind people. And they had the same infection that I had, but they didn't have money to go get medical care, so they ended up being blind. But through Compassion, I got my eyes fixed. I went to clinic for one year, and God healed me. In fact, I just checked my eyes regularly, and the last time I checked my eyes, my vision is 20 out of 20. And so if you've never seen a miracle, there's one standing in front of you today. So the same miracles that Jesus did when he was on earth, still happening today, just through people like you. That's miracle number two. The first miracle is that I am not in Madhari anymore. That's, another, that's a big miracle. I cleared elementary school and went to a government high school. There's not so many ways to go to government high school in Kenya. It's either you're from a rich family or your dad is a politician, or, or he knows somebody, or you got really good grades that nobody could ignore you. <laughs> and so I went to government high school just because I had good grades. And my sponsors had promised me that if I got good grades in high school to qualify to go to the university, that they were going to pay for it. I promise you I didn't work hard to make my parents proud or to make myself proud or feel good, I worked hard in high school to make my sponsors proud. They didn't know me, but they cared so much that they were already planning a future for me. There was no other reason to not work hard. I was working as hard as I could. I was going to be the first person to ever go to a university in my dad's and mom's entire generation. I worked really hard, I promise you. because I knew I was on my way out of poverty. I was on my way to being rescued from poverty in Jesus' name. Every weekend, we'd go to the Compassion Center on a Saturday. Saturday was the best day of the week, because we had an opportunity to have lunch, or rather, a meal with meat every Saturday at the Compassion Center. We'd go there in the morning, we'd do like present worship, and then break into our classes like Sunday school, and they would teach us about Jesus. And compassion sponsors anyone. Doesn't matter your religion. Just that your parents have to sign a consent form saying you're going to be taught about Jesus. I tell you, I've grown up to see... It's easier to convert a, a Christian to Islam than the other way around. I grew up to see a lot of Muslims become Christians. I have a friend who is now called Pastor Ali... He was, he was from a Muslim family, but now he's a pastor. So we received the gospel on Saturdays and then had lunch, which was a big deal, with meat. Yeah, with meat, hashtag. <laughs> Everybody looked forward to Saturday. You didn't want to miss. See how people always look forward to Friday? We looked forward to Saturday. What the, Whoa, meat. Hashtag. (laughs) And on these weekends, another thing they gave us was they taught us life skills. Just in case school didn't work, they taught us trades. And everybody had an an opportunity to choose whatever they wanted. I chose music. I love music. Some other people chose other different things, mechanics or whatever you wanted. And we had people, we call them uncles and aunties, who are... They at the compassion center all the time, in case you needed somebody to talk to. They would follow up with us, they knew how we were doing in school, they would visit you in school, visit you at home, take you to the hospital. If your sponsor sent you a gift, they will take you shopping. They were always there for us, and everything they said was true. Somehow. They told us Jesus was true and was real, when Jesus is actually <laughs> true and real. They cared for us, they loved us. They were our mentors. Back to my sponsors, because they're very the key people in my life. In their letters, they kept encouraging me and empowering me, and they were my role models. There's nothing else I wanted to be but just like my sponsors. Mr. and Mrs. Darrell Lockhart. They're there they are. That's the family that really cared for me. There's their two boys, Caden and Ian. Caden turned 16 yesterday. When they sponsored me, they didn't even have kids yet. They were just brand newlyweds then. They both served in the United States Air Force. He retired as a lieutenant colonel. She's still in the United States Air Force. And I love those people so much. We've grown up to be friends. My family and their family are still friends. My kids and their kids call each other brother and sister. And I am alive here today because they listened to the call of maybe a pastor or somebody who stood somewhere in in an event and said, hey, we're partnering with Compassion and we're going to release kids from poverty. We have a a Compassion joke, alumni joke, that we are grown-up packets. (laughs) Over 20 years ago, there was a picture of me on one of this. And somebody just like you thought I was cute and I had a cute smile and picked me up. But the smile is still there, right? (laughs) And now I am not dead. I have lived twice, almost twice my my the life, the age that I was supposed to live. Just because somebody like you believed in what compassion does. Well, standing here today, I can tell you that everything Compassion does is true, and I am a living testimony of, that, of, of that, the fact that their program works. Today, none of my family is in poverty at all. I was able to move out of the slums, and I, I took my skill And used it and I was a singer when I lived in Kenya and I toured the country and for the first time the story of madare wasn't just poverty and hopelessness there was a Jesus attached to it there was hope there was freedom there was the gospel attached to it I toured the country went to high schools and colleges and churches preaching the same message that I had received through the compassion program now I live here in Colorado. I live in Greedy. I am married. I have two kids, Gabriel and Malkia. Gabriel is six, Malkia is four. We do sponsor her. That girl right there with the books, that's when we visited her three years ago, in the same slum, in the same neighborhood I grew up in. That's her and her mom. Gabriel and Malkia are a little older than that now. But just to put it in perspective, don't you guys think I became what I wanted to be, just like my sponsor? (laughs) Put a picture of my sponsor and then put mine one more time. (laughs) They
1: missed the joke. (laughs) And
0: to even further that, a few years back I met him at the airport. I was flying to speak at a compassion event. And we kept in touch, and he just he retired from the Air Force. And that day, I was watching his retirement ceremony on Facebook Live, and when he got his DD-214, they call it, when you retire from the military, that's a very important document. That's the one document that once you receive it, if somebody tells you have a good day, you tell me, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time you can say that, because now you are not, you're not a part of him anymore. And so when he received his DD-214, the same day I walked into a recruiter's office and enlisted, I didn't want to join the Air Force, so I went into the Army. Huh? There's no soldiers here? Well, I guess I'm in an Air Force town, so I shouldn't say that. But. <laughs> so I joined the Army. Now I'm an engineer in the United States Army. That's me at basic training. I was getting some kind of a, an award from the battalion commander right there. And I've enjoyed serving. And the next picture is a picture of me and my sergeants in one of the missions we were at. That was a long time too. <laughs> I was only a private first class there. And I can tell you for sure, if there's one thing that has happened is I am living my dreams. I am a living Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. I am living a future and a hope today. Because somebody just like you believed and listened. I'm leading a mission trip with my church next month to Kenya. And we're going to have another opportunity to meet Laureen, my sponsored child. And we, it's going to be awesome just to see how, how much she's grown in three years. And I'm sure she's, she always shows me the letters that we sent to her. And just seeing it, being a sponsor and being somebody who was sponsored is just amazing. But here I am today to tell you why it's important to sponsor a child with compassion. See, before Jesus went back to his father in heaven, he'd preached for 33 years. And he knew it was about time for him to go back. Let's say he was like, okay, I'm going to be crucified next week and I'm going to be gone. And the gospel wasn't going to end by him going back to his father. And so he commissioned his disciples and told them, go ye into the world. As it says in the book of Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And these disciples would... Become disciples and make disciples. Who would become disciples and make disciples? Who would become disciples here and make disciples like me? Who would again go and make more disciples? And that means the gospel would forever be. And so when you sponsor a child with compassion, you're not just meeting the need of buying them shoes and feeding them and taking them to school. You are being a part of the great commission. You are doing exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Of all things that compassion gave me, yes, I was fed. I was given shoes that I really loved. I was taken care of. The best thing compassion gave me was the gospel. I was preached to her and I, I know this, that's the one thing. You can take my shoes away from me. You can take my faith away from me. And so today, we have a chance to partner with your local church and partner with compassion and partner with a local church and partner with a kid. And the bigger picture is partner with God. What You can't beat that partnership. To be the hands and feet of Jesus today and help a child experience the goodness of God and be released from poverty in Jesus' name. If somebody didn't sponsor me, I'd be part of the statistics of the kids who die. I'd be part of the statistics of the kids who never make it past 16, who die of malnutrition, of drinking dirty water. But I am here a living proof, living testimony that Jesus is real and compassion is partnering with the local church in being a part of the Great Commission. That is going to be the story of so many kids over 20 years from today. Like the video said, the choice is in your hands. Amen? And to wrap up, I'm going to do one song. I'm going to, your pastor asked me to share some of my musical skills with you, and so I'm going to honor that. I'm going to share this song called... God you're so good and it is a song that is a reminder to me of God's goodness in my life His amazing love that welcomed me into the kindness of his mercy if you guys would stand and help me sing this song In love thou welcomes me their kindness
1: This life brings suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary
0: has brought for me. Jesus, thank you for being so good to me and to us. Thank you for Element Church, and thank you for just being here right now. Thank you for what you're going to do today, and so many kids are going to experience your goodness, and even the sponsors are going to see the impact of your goodness, and God just, we're just, I'm just overwhelmed by your goodness I know I I speak so many times about your goodness, but every time it's refreshing. It's, It's different. And thank you, God, for just being so good. In Jesus' name, amen.